when you take into consideration that we very much engaged into canine events and um, when we can bring the victims back mm. safely and uh, securely to their families then it's always a proud moment uh, when you can break the news to the families the next of kin and um, this is a very nice moment always Hello and welcome to Fishy Business, a series dedicated to exploring the lesser known side of cybersecurity. I'm Laura, filling in for Alice during her time off. And I'm Brian and we're colleagues at Mimecast. Every episode will be joined by a special visitor who's definitely not your average guest to share tales of risk, reward and ridiculousness. We'll be looking for new ways to think about cybersecurity to learn how we can all improve in the fact to stay safe. I think this is going to be quite fun. I unfortunately can't do uh, Nick Dean's very cool Dutch accent. So you're going to have to uh, <laughs> live with my South African accent. But uh, I think we've got quite an exciting episode uh, teed up for today. So, so Laura, how are you in a crisis? Ooh, um, I think it depends on the crisis. But I think at work, let's say at work, I'm generally pretty good at handling them. And I bet our guest today is probably the best person to have around uh, in a sticky situation. Absolutely, yes. Uh, our guest today is Mark uh, Brandner. He's a partner of Smart Risk Solutions, who are a risk and crisis management consultancy. He served as an officer of the German Special Forces in various command assignments in Germany and abroad. And he now supports customers both in crisis prevention and in the architecture of holistic and seamless security management. So let's get started. Welcome, Mark. Thank you for being with us today. Thanks, Laura and Brian. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited. Um, so I think let's start by maybe simplifying things just a little bit. Um, so we've discovered that you've got a super duper exciting job. Um, how would you um, explain what you do at um, a dinner party, for example? I would say I have an exotic part of my job and there's a boring <laughs> one. What would you prefer to hear first? Exotic, please. Then we start with the exotic things. And I'm a risk management, crisis management consultant. And with this comes that we advise companies, enterprises, uh, international organizations, families on crisis events, which could be cyber incidents, obviously, and kidnap for ransom events, extortion, malicious product tempering events, missing person incidents, um, business continuity things uh, or events. And this is the exciting part, especially when we directly um, go to the clients and advise them in an active event. And the boring part is document reading and writing. Exciting. Okay. I suppose even James Bond has to do some admin at some point. So. <laughs> oh, yes. Oh, yes. But he has, uh, I think, uh, Miss Moneypenny. Yeah. <laughs> the most part. So I gave a little bit of your bio in that very brief introduction that I did, but maybe you could tell us a little bit more about yourself. How did you get into where you are today? Yeah, I had a uh, a, a career with the with the armed forces, so I joined 12 years as a non-commissioned officer with German armed forces, um, six of them with uh, special forces. And when leaving the armed forces, then I decided to go into business of my own, which I did. And it's, I think, similar to UK blokes that have been working with the military and have been serving there. Um, they normally would be absorbed by the security industry. 
And uh, so I had some contacts and I started working for different companies in the field of crisis management, um, drafting uh, product plans, crisis management plans, uh, product recall plans, and so on, advising the clients. And that's the, the background. And then when you go into the business, then you will start uh, later on to uh, to go into crisis response as well, which is more or less uh, one um, one cornerstone of, of our work. And um, it sounds like it's sort of really varied. Do you have um, a proudest moment of your career so far? I would say when you take into consideration that we very much engaged into canine events and um, when we can bring the victims back Mm. safely and uh, securely to their families then it's always a proud moment uh, when you can break the news to the families the next of kin and um, this is a very nice moment always you wrote a blog recently around the risk of, of double ransom payments faced by companies that seems to be quite different from bringing you know kidnap victims back to to, to their families um so there's a lot of talk about potentially banning ransomware payments. Um, do you think that that's going to solve the ransomware problem? And, and doesn't that just assume that paying is, is a choice rather than actual extortion? I think um, always in life, we will have choices. And this is as well, if we are subject to an extortion by criminals, for example. Um, but every choice comes, comes at a certain price. So... Um, you need to make up your mind to you may you have to take a decision and before making this informed decision you need to look into the facts and analyze them carefully um, that you would be able to to make this decision shall I pay or not to pay and uh, this comes by some it's determined I would say by different uh, areas first of all you need to look into um, do I have a backup system for my mm. IT structure? Is it still operational? Um, if yes, then you might take the decision not to pay and maybe even not to engage into a conversation with the with the opposition. If not, um, then you may decide to gain time, for example, and to look into if you can solve the problem by not paying getting the, the problem overcome by, by something, by other means. So we tend to throw around terms in cybersecurity and, and information technology a little bit loosely. I mean, you, know, you think of the term piracy, you know, copying a, a video and, and, and breaching copyright is a very different thing than, you know, sort of sailing around the Horn of Africa and having your boat invaded by, by real actual pirates. And I guess ransom might sort of fit into a similar sort of category to that. Are there similarities and what are the big differences between, I don't want to call it real world ransom and I don't want to downplay how important, you know, digital ransomware actually is, but but what are the differences between the analog, let's call it the in real life ransom and, and the, the digital extortion side of ransoms? I would say in principle, and when it comes to the negotiation side, they are quite similar. And uh, so you need to start with ground truth, bringing your facts together, seeing your risks and vulnerabilities in, in a specific case, and then on this base your strategy. As soon as you have the strategy together, then you can take actions one 
step after another. And uh, this is, um, I think, the same in both worlds. Uh, mostly the client very much focuses in the digital world and a cyber attack, they very much focus on the technical aspects on the issue and not seeing all the other areas that are affected by domino cascading effects, for example, and um, affecting the reputation, business continuity, and other areas. What do you think the main motives of cyber criminals are in general? Is it always financial or would some or would some motivations also be reputational damage, embarrassment? What are your thoughts around that? Off the cuff and given our experience with the cases, I would say 95% are financially motivated cases. Um, sometimes you are having disgruntled employees, for example, uh, that want mm. to harm the, uh, the, uh, the employer, for example, or you would be having people um, from the outside that want to harm specific individuals in a company or an organization or the organization as such. But that's, from our perspective, quite seldom. And I guess police will have similar figures. And is the majority of what you deal with now cybercrime versus sort of in real life crime, would you say? Or, or what's the balance um, between in real life and, and cyber? Interesting questions as um, we are focusing very much on the, on the cyber um, threats as well here in the conversation. But to be honest, um, cyber cases only will account for about one third of our cases. Uh, another third will be kidnap for ransom cases. And um, the rest then is threat cases, MPT cases, and in other cases, that's at the moment, that's, that's it. What we can see is that cyber cases have been picking up the last years. So Mark, have you noticed that the, the clients that you deal with are more aware of the cyber risk? You mentioned that, uh, that uh, the cases are starting to pick up or, or do you think more education on, on the topic of sort of cyber crime and cyber risk is, is needed? Yeah, I would say both. Um, we would be seeing that the awareness is slightly rising, specifically with the medium and small size, small and medium sized enterprises, um, as well with the big players. And this, I would say, since two or three years, awareness is constantly on the rise, as the um, the figures are on the rise of the cyber cases. So the companies, they really see something is going on and they try to adapt. And what, um, what are your tips, let's say for your ultra high net worth clients or for your big sort of enterprises that you uh, consult with, what's your main advice to them to sort of remain aware of the cyber threats in terms of what they should do to, to sort of be protected? What we regularly tell them is to build up um, preventive measures that means um, that they have the right mindset the awareness that they have their risk um, map um, 
laid out when it comes to, to cyber risks and cyber attacks, that they build up the structures, that they have a cyber response plan at hand. Most they haven't, they have some IT security plans and so on, but they are normally not linked to the crisis management if they have crisis management. And they don't think normally the uh, crisis event with cyber, they don't think through to the end uh, with all the implications we discussed before. And I guess one of the key things in any kind of event, whether it's a, a kidnap for ransom type thing or it's a, a cyber um, situation like ransomware, um, you have you have these sort of cyber crimes and cyber extortions, and you have to involve law enforcement at some point in the proceedings. Um, how do you you know what do you think of how law enforcement deals with these events? Are they equipped to to help in and, and solve these kinds of issues, or is is there still some way to go? <laughs> yeah, it's an interesting question. Um, first of all, in in some countries, for example, Germany, um, you not necessarily need to uh, in um, inform uh, law enforcement. Um, so you don't even need to, to file a complaint, an official one. In some countries you have to, so it's, it's up to you, it's your decision uh, what you would like to do, especially if you want to uh, have the case handled discreetly, sometimes uh, it's a good reason not to share this with law enforcement and for, for a number of reasons, because sometimes with law enforcement you have leaks that go to the media and then we are sitting again with other problems, reputational and so on. Um, um, you will have to inform certain authorities depending on uh, the, uh, the event itself and what data really has been affected. So if data has been compromised severely, data stolen, personal data, then you have to inform the authorities and involve uh, police. But if this has not happened, then uh, you, you're free actually to how to deal with this. Now um, to the effectiveness of law enforcement. I think law enforcement can help very much when it comes to, to dealing with a case, uh, building up the, this, the situational awareness. They may have information on the group. They may have information if other organizations, companies are affected, for example, uh, they may have uh, files um, from dating back in history where we could learn from um, if they disclose certain uh, certain details on this. However, um, their effectiveness may be uh, significantly hampered by the perpetrators mostly sitting abroad, operating from abroad, and sometimes um, they, they have affiliate structures. So you might have one group doing the communication, the other doing parts of the intrusion, and um, these groups not necessarily directly linked to each other, sitting in different jurisdictions and so on. So big problem for, for law enforcement. Um, then secondly, um, another point that's interesting when it comes to law enforcement and comparing now the UK with uh, other countries, for example, Germany. Um, in the UK, you have a centralized certain aspects of police work. This is, for example, when it comes to canine events, if a UK citizen is uh, abducted um, in Scotland or in Yemen, um, the same police department, uh, the HCNU, will be responsible and they are 
uh, highly specialized on this and uh, you have a um, national uh, cybersecurity center as well um, so you have this centralized um, and and build a, a very effective structure in Germany we don't have this so the police work is um, is um, uh, in the responsibility of the of the states um, like you would have in England Scotland Wales Northern Ireland and so on and um, this limits sometimes the capacity of police even in a in a crime that is conducted inside the the German borders and when it's outside the perpetrators are sitting outside attacking from there uh, the the problems multiply you help companies in crisis management situations but I guess almost more importantly, that's sort of more the reactive side. On the proactive side, you help them with setting up frameworks to, to deal with a crisis. What does that side actually entail? Yeah, so quite a lot, actually, Brian. Um, it, it first starts with the risk landscape of, of yourself. And now when we come to cyber crime, and you already mentioned there are so many aspects of cyber crime, we, we just focus now on the ransomware attacks which are quite common and, and quite um, devastating for the organizations they would hit. But there are other aspects as well. And so companies should look into um, what their risk is exposure actually looks like. And then based on this, build their defensive lines. Um, and um, when you talk to the uh, big companies that uh, do cyber security, they work under the assumption that um, intruders sooner or later will find a way into your castle and would move there. So then it's uh, important that you detect them early on and then after take take the steps. And what we are looking for, um, as we are not, not IT experts actually, is to have the big picture and uh, look about defensive strategies and look about um, then reactive strategies and seeing the entire organization and not only the technical part. Um, in the recent years, there was with especially the big companies, the tendency that they would decide on to have a crisis management organization in their, um, in their um, company and in parallel, an IT um, or cyber crisis management structure. So you would have two silos that uh, would not necessarily uh, well connected. And most of the, especially the big companies were having this, um, the corporations, and they found out in the last years that they have to bring this together. Because if you are having a cyber problem, an IT problem, um, the, the entire company is affected and a lot of all these uh, procedures and, and protocols, uh, processes are, will be affected. And if you want to uh, exercise an effective, efficient crisis management, you have to have the full view, the full picture on both worlds and, and link them together. And as well, when you are looking at the cyber response then, and then you need to look uh, into the priorities. What do I first, what next, and so on. And it will be interdependent with your strategy and the actions you would be taking. So if you talk to the criminals and you want to break those certain key messages, 
um, they have to be in line with your entire plan, uh, which not only is IT um, embedded, but is, is touching the other areas of your organization as well. And uh, so in a nutshell, sorry for the long answer, extended <laughs> one, but in a nutshell, we would be looking that this clockwork, it's a big clockwork actually, that this would be working um, in in a in an organized fashion whenever the client needs this. And that means it needs to work before the incident, during and after. Um, it's You mentioned it's like, like a clockwork and sort of quite a complex um, plan and, and sort of an overarching view that you take when you sort of build those frameworks. Um, in your experience, in in the clients that you work with, with the clients that you work with, do you think typically they overestimate or underestimate that threat landscape? Um, if you can answer that, I see that you're smiling. Maybe that's a bit of a yes. Yeah, they normally <laughs> would underestimate absolutely. <laughs> they they really would would uh, most of them, especially the the small and, and medium sized ones they would really look into the, the technical aspects and then sometimes making bis- big mistakes. We had in the uh, beginning of this year, we had an Austrian client, a mid-sized um, company, and they faced a ransomware, typical ransomware attack. And um, then um, they had uh, an operational backup still, luckily, but they hastily, before doing their IT forensics correctly, and uh, looking about the strategy, how to deal with the incident, they hastily uh, used this um, backup on a productive server, which still was infected. And um, so they ended up in a situation where even the keys they uh, could buy from the perpetrators would not help them anymore. Um, In the midst of a crisis or even a a crisis management exercise, what are your what are your views or your thoughts on um, how you should react? Because it feels like an element of sort of personal resilience is necessary uh, in your line of work, but also for for the leadership uh, of companies when they sort of do these crisis management exercises or when it happens to them. Um, do, what do you think about that? Is it always sort of best to stay calm, focused, or would can emotion be used effectively in a way? How do you um, coach your clients on that? Yeah, I mean, in crisis, um, emotion can can be a problem in all kinds of crisis situations. And so we try to advise the client not getting emotional. Sometimes it's hard because if you have built up your, your own business, for example, and then you see it's it's at the at the brink of being destroyed, for example, or in a crisis situation, you, you might... Uh, tend to be emotional. In K&R cases, obviously, um, the next of kin or even company members, um, co-workers, they they may react highly emotional. However, what we learned uh, or I learned in my experience is that mostly um, human beings in crisis situations, um, they are not overly emotional. And um, especially on on the crisis management teams, they are not. And so they, they can be focused and well-structured. What sometimes happens in, uh, as well in crisis events, uh, specifically in crisis and kidnap events, I would, would say, not that much with a malicious product tempering extortion, um, is that um, the sometimes the CMTs or, or 
the the board, the, the C-suite, whoever, um, they tend to jump on the first train getting at the plat platform and um, and then mount this this train and, and off they go. And uh, you ask them, okay, you really wanted to go to Glasgow? And um, okay, then they they uh, find out uh, sitting in the compartment that they wanted to go to Plymouth, which is the other direction. And um, that uh, can can get a problem or can become a problem. Um, so we would um, then at advisors uh, really um, line out mark the, the different um, options they would be having starting with the information gathering. And in the cyber event specifically, you have to gather a lot of information um, until you can say, okay, we are good to go uh, with this strategy and we are good to go with this action or that action and um, take your time. That's that's it. Make an informed decision and not, um, not um, making hastily decisions. It does seem to be a personality type that almost is a, is a stereotype uh, with with the C-suite sometimes, but let me not go too far down that track because I might get us all into trouble. Um, something we haven't really touched on yet um, in this podcast is your special forces career. Um, and I'd love to do an entire podcast on asking what you think of certain action movies involving special forces, because I think there's always some fascinating insights there. But let's maybe focus on something a bit more serious. You were responsible for the selection and training uh, for the uh, special forces recruits. Can you maybe tell us a bit more about that? You know, what are things like the main attributes you look for in recruits for that kind of work? Yeah, that's uh, that's interesting. And by the way, I didn't didn't uh, had a military career. I left as a captain, so that's not a career. <laughs> my breath. Fair enough. <laughs> so, yeah, um, actually, really, I, I was in charge for German special forces for the uh, selection and then uh, it entailed as well that we would um, do the first year of training. Later, we uh, had two, tra two training years with these recruits and they, they were coming as volunteers. Um, they, they normally had an average of uh, three, four, five years or even longer in the armed forces, but they came from different branches. And so you need to, to harmonize certain things and to focus them on the on um, the... Uh, special forces work. Um, what have been, we have been looking for? Um, actually, um, physical traits. Um, obviously, um, you you need to be able to endure certain um, physical um, workload um, when you do the job. But more important from 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 my um, point of view, at least, is the uh, the mental mindset so that I find the the uh, the right people I want to have humble people I, I have to say um, with this uh, I want to have people that are diligent in detail that um, work on themselves that can work um, high level individually but as well uh, in a team and um, we would as well uh, what is a good picture um, we would need not not a running horse, um, um, but we would would look into uh, getting a workhorse that has all the different uh, skill set and, and can do different different work. Then, um, yeah, that's that's mainly it. As a horse riding teacher, I agree with you. A workhorse. Oh, are you really? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, we <laughs> said, uh, a common hobby. 
to, to go back to um, Brian's point about um, the funny action movie parallels, I'm not going to ask you about those, but I did want to find out, um, because we have you here and you're, you're a very interesting character, what are some of the most extraordinary situations that you found yourself in um, that you can share just to uh, give us a bit of a flavor of, of those? I had once, I had a K&R case in Nigeria and affected was a Chinese company that have been working there for 40 years and so on and was middle of, of uh, Nigeria. And we um, we came to the client, did the first briefing and got told of the situation and so on. And um, with the general manager and some other senior staff of them, all Chinese, obviously. And then um, the security situation did not allow that we would uh, move further to our hotel. And we had to spend the night, the night in, in their, on their side. And uh, so um, very kind, very polite people. So the general manager offered me to, to sleep in his bed, and uh, which I did then. And luckily, he was not sharing the bed with me. He took uh, took something else. Um, as I had, um, I was highly suspicious he would be snoring. And uh, so I had a good night um, in the general manager's bed. And then the next day we could could move on. So sometimes it's uh, it's a bit it's a bit odd the situations you come in. Mark, um, as usual, uh, with most of our guests, and you're no exception, we could probably talk to you for another hour or two um, and just talk to you about some of the really fascinating aspects of your career. But we're coming to the end. Um, so thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us today. We always like to end our episodes by asking our guests three simple questions. Um, so looking back over your career, what is the one insight that you wished you'd learned sooner that you could go back and tell your younger self? Yeah, <laughs> well, there would be a lot of things, I think we all would agree. Um, but I think uh, most important in, in, in private, but as well business life, I think is uh, learning um, earlier on uh, to, to, to pick up on people's hidden agendas, for example, I think that's 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 interesting, and um, I'm not sure how to learn this skill set, but I I think it, it it's by experience, unfortunately. <laughs> so you need to to run into disaster a couple of times, and then after you would be you would be able to pick up on certain signals earlier. <laughs> I, th I think that's a great one, and we've learned a huge amount from some of our our podcast guests by asking them what they're reading or, or listening to at the moment. So, is there anything that you would recommend uh, for our listeners? Yeah, um, I would not recommend any of my business papers. I have to read, but um, what I do is um, uh, Sun Chi. Uh, I think Sun Si is the guy on the art of war. I, every now and then I have a look at, uh, because it's, it, I mean, I have a military background, so it's interesting. And I think it's, it, it goes along, um, it has parallels for, for the business world as well, obviously. It's about strategy and um, using strategies. At this time next year, where do you think we'll be with uh, cyber extortion and ransomware? Um, are you spotting any trends in particular? I think the only way will be up. Um, so I would expect figures picking up, rising, and um, as well due to all these corona restrictions and the um, the tendency to do a lot of home 
um, home office work, um, the IT infrastructure is getting more and more vulnerable. Another trend we are seeing now, that is that uh, the cyber extortionists, they would try to um, spot and um, get into touch with disgruntled employees. Um, they would recruit them and uh, together with them, uh, then having a better um, basis to attack the companies from the inside sometimes, or at least uh, achieving information. And it's not necessarily the IT admin uh, uh, guys, but it may be others as well, who then can help them with their plot. And given that we have seen a lot of um, um, developments with the, uh, with the work environments, then uh, people getting put off due to the uh, the situation, um, the economic situation, uh, I think they will have um, much more options there and potential to find uh, disgruntled employees. Yeah, I think that's a, a really interesting point. Uh, we've got the great resignation kind of wave happening and uh, that's actually fascinating that that links into a sort of a wave of disgruntled employees as well. And uh, where where can our listeners uh, find more information about um, what you do and Smart Risk Solutions? Yeah, the, the uh, your listeners are invited to visit our website, which is um, smartriskSolutions.de. SmartriskSolutions.de. Uh, we have some information packages there as well in German, in English, uh, some of them where they could read into and can reach out uh, for us. And we have a global coverage, uh, 30 consultants globally, uh, English speaking, obviously, Mandarin speaking uh, as well, but only a few. Maybe you may uh, consider joining the team, Laura, sooner or later. <laughs> I'm a bit rusty, but I'll I'll brush up on the Mandarin and I'll come over. So thank you so much to all of our listeners for joining us on this week's Fishy Business. It's been a real pleasure to have you with us. If you enjoyed our podcast, please leave a review for us on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you're hearing this. And feel free to follow us on our Twitter page at Mimecast if you'd like to learn more about what we discussed.